Podcast. The Book of Romans has been called the King of the New Testament Epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All righty, I welcome you back to your seats. We are ready to begin. We're going to pick up in the same chapter we left off in Romans chapter 6. We're picking up in the middle of that chapter. We're going to make it all the way to the end, Lord willing. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Father, understanding the truths of Romans chapter 6 is really the foundation for victory and living successfully and effectively as Christians, as servants of the Most High God. So help us be refreshed and reminded of these foundational truths that make our Christian lives productive in Christ's name. Amen, amen. I was reading an article about a special kind of school that trains butlers, uh, men and women, to serve the rich and famous, but not just any rich and famous, billionaires with a B, the wealthiest, most influential people uh, on the planet. I've got a little slide that just kind of gets us thinking in the right direction here. Here's a a synopsis of what I was reading in the article. It says, it's ultimate servitude at its finest. It's very much like being a personal slave. You, You must have no desire other than to do your duty and carry out instructions. Far from being demeaning, Most butlers working for billionaires, uh, sheiks, rich tycoons, famous celebrities, and posh royalty find their 24-7 on-call selfless life of service rewarding and well worth it. They say that to serve the powerful is to have power. To serve the wealthy is to share in their wealth. But if you're not able to Uh, Lay your own ideas and agenda aside and answer at someone's beck and call. And if it doesn't come easy for you to make it all about somebody else, being a a butler for the rich and famous is not for you. Well, yeah, I liked something that they said. Serving the powerful uh, gives you power. Serving the wealthy is to share in their wealth. And Paul the Apostle is going to allude to the very same idea about the benefits of being a servant of the Most High God. He puts it in even stronger words than that, as we'll see. Uh, He's going to use this metaphor of serving the Lord 
as a foundational principle, this is what happened to you when you became a Christian. This is what you signed up for. This, in fact, is by definition what a Christian is, a servant. Slaves of obedience, slaves to God to do his will. That is how a Christian is biblically described and defined. And so if, if you have this mindset about who you are and what actually happened to you when you came to know the Lord and what you've signed up for and how God sees the relationship, then you'll do better in life, especially when there's temptations to sin. And that's what chapter 6 has been answering. Since we saved by grace, why don't we just continue in sin? I mean, God always forgives us. He always loves us. What's wrong with a little indulging ourselves here and there? So Paul is going to say here, in, as we get underway, let me help you with that kind of uh, delusional thinking with this illustration about serving. Maybe you're not understanding what actually happens to a person when they're saved and they come to know Christ. You've left one master, Sin for another master, God. You used to be employed by this sinful nature that was connected to the evil one, and now you are connected in a service unto obedience to the Most High God. You are slaves to doing right. This is how he's going to answer the question. Well, if we're saved by grace, I guess it doesn't matter how we live. I guess I can occasionally sin. And he's saying, how can you occasionally do what is abhorrent to your master when you are by definition his servant to do only good because God is only good. good. Amen. You've got this. Let's see how he's going to go about this second now uh, argument. It's a little bit different than the first, and I'll explain that. Let's take a look at the whole passage from verse 15 down to the end. So he picks up the same question again. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience, which leads to the right kind of life, righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to a new master, right living, goodness, obedience to God, 19. Now, I put this in human terms, this analogy of slavery, because you're weak in your natural self. So now, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to the right way to live, to goodness, to obedience, leading to 
to holiness. He goes on. He concludes by saying, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of doing the right thing. But what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now humiliated by, ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there you have it, his final argument to the absurd idea that because we're not under law, but under grace, that we can sin as Christians. And so chapter six, note takers are very easy to outline. There are two questions. They're similar. Remember last week, it started out with the same sort of question, but they're slightly different. To answer two slightly different ideas, which I'm going to explain. The first question was in verse one, you'll recall. And he answered that question in verses 2 through 14. And we're picking about 15 with the same kind of question. And he's going to answer that now. We just read his answer to that. So it's pretty simple. Chapter 6 is question, answer, question, answer, you decide. That's what a lot of the Bible is. Uh, these are the options, A and B. Here's why you should choose A. Here's why you shouldn't choose B. Choose. And that's the idea going on here in chapter 6. Let's start with the first question just to remind you. And then I'll show you how it compares to the second question that we, we pick up with uh, this morning. So here are the two questions. So verse 1, open the chapter. Paul was saying, grace, grace, grace. It doesn't depend on you. It's not about your good deeds or your effort. But all you have to do is believe, and you'll have eternal life. And then he says, so if we're saved by grace, you may be thinking, why not just continue on sinning? This question is really about if you come to Christ and it's all through Christ's effort, then why can't I continue on in a sinful lifestyle habitually? Now he's going to change it up just a little bit by saying, verse 15, starting our text this morning. So he already answered that question. Now he says, now if we're not under the law, the Ten Commandments, but we're under grace, why not sin occasionally, right? And so those are the two questions. Let me kind of frame it to you this way. Um, really, the first addresses, let's say, John. We kind of talked about him last week, right? Claims to be a Christian without any evidence of moral transformation whatsoever. He loves to party. His language is profane. He's sexually immoral in a habitual way. But he says, I believe in God just like you. I'm saved by the same blood of Christ. I'm saved by grace. But Charles Spurgeon says, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. And the entire sermon last week was dedicated to uh, elaborate on that topic. 
Now, the second question before you, which is actually verse 15 paraphrased, is for Mary. Let's call her Mary. From all appearances, Mary's already a Christian, and she appears to be genuinely uh, saved, as we say. She's met the Lord. But her marriage is difficult. Things are Times are hard in her household. She's got two little kids. Life's demanding. She works part-time at an accounting firm. And she gets the warmies for the handsome manager of her department. The feeling is mutual because he's flirting back with her. And here's what she's thinking. She says, I know it's wrong. Uh, I know it won't send me to hell. I know God will forgive me. I'll just take a back seat in heaven, whatever the cost, and, uh, and, you know, and uh, the rest of it doesn't matter. That's the question, the second question. If I'm removed from the law that says, thou shalt do this or die, God took that away, right? We're going to talk about that. Now I'm under grace, so I guess now that I'm saved, since I'm not under the threat anymore, that, and I know that I can commit adultery and still go to heaven, then you know what? I'm going to leave that option open. And Paul says, that's a foolish thing to do. It's inconsistent with who you are. It's inconsistent with how God sees you. It's inconsistent with blessing and his will. And you may not go to hell as a Christian who dabbles in sins here and there, but you are inviting various forms of death and destruction and shame and enslavement into your life because that is what sin as a master does to its servant every time. And that's the gist of what we just read. Sin always pays the same. It enslaves you, it shames you, and it destroys you. That's the gist of verses 15 through 23. So let's dive in to this material uh, with the first verses, just a couple verses to get us off and running. I will tell you, note takers, that there are really two problems with this kind of thinking that just because I'm not going to go to hell if I sin, that I can go ahead and sin. Number one, you're forgetting, Paul says, that sin enslaves you. Do you remember this? This is a terrible thing. You don't want to put the shackles back on. And number two, he's going to say, Christ has set you free so that you can leave your former ruthless master with its cruel consequences for the good benevolent king and serve him and reap a harvest of blessing. That's the whole point. The whole point of your Christian life, the whole point of the crucifixion, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of God getting involved is so that you don't sin and he destroy that work. That's the whole point. And then the Christian asks, well, I guess it's okay if I. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But that ought to tell you how strong and delusional the sinful heart is. Beyond cure, deceitful, above all things. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. All right, so here are the verses before us. I already told you point one. 
is, don't you remember the reason you can't dabble in it? Mary, the reason you can't say he's cuter than my husband and he says nice things to me and all my husband ever said, the reason you can't go down that road, Mary, is because sin enslaves you. You left that master. So let's dig in here. You follow along. I already read it to you. I like to have you follow along while I paraphrase it. All right, so well then, since we don't have the law of the Ten Commandments breathing down our necks, we live under God's grace instead. Isn't occasional sin okay? Verse 16, well, leading up to 16, of course not. You do realize that you're the slave to whoever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to life. All the blessings of being right with God. So we have the text in front. I think the first thing we want to decide is when he says, we're not under law. What does it mean for a Christian not to be under law? Because a lot of Christians are misinformed. They think, well, I'm not under the law. That means don't even open the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible and the foundation of our Christian lives, and it is 100% applicable today besides ceremonial sacrificial laws and laws that pertain to the nation of Israel. Everything else is good and valid and right. There are 853 references to the Old Testament in the New. So the New Testament writers, including Jesus, who used the book 50 times, quoted the Old Testament, is a running commentary on the Christian life based on the Old Testament. So not to be under law doesn't mean we throw out God's moral laws Because you remove the law means we remove the threat. Here's the law, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, same thing. It said, do this or die. Lightning bolt, boom, to show us, oh, we need a savior. So God says under the do this or die, the provisional way to get right with me is bring a sacrifice stand in for you Confess your sins onto the head of that innocent party and the priest will slaughter the animal in your presence and the blood spilled there will atone, the word means to cover your sins temporarily. And every time you sinned and fell out of fellowship, you were in trouble again because your heart wasn't changed. This is the Old Testament showing you you need a savior. But when the New Testament comes, Jesus says, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new arrangement, grace. My blood shed for you to bring a covenant of grace. He's taking the do this or die and changing it into trust me and live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others with the same kind of love you love yourselves with and you will fulfill everything in the Old Testament. Now it's not do this or die, bam. It's trust Christ, love God and live and by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey his righteous commands. Jesus said the way you'll know you love me is if you keep my commandments. So to say, I'm not under law. 
So I never give thought of whether I, okay, I'm going to lie here. Will it send me to hell? No. So I'm going to lie. Or maybe I cheat on my taxes. Is it going to send me to hell? No. So because you're not under the do this or die, you're under grace. So there's room for you to cheat on your taxes and not go to hell. And so the sinful nature says, then, of course, cheat on your taxes, bozo. (laughs) Because the sinful nature doesn't care for you. So calls you names, even. (laughs) But you seem to be okay with it. And you say, yes, sir, I'm a bozo. (laughs) Bozo here reporting for service, you know. He says, but no. How can you report to service to the old boss when you've been unplugged from that source and plugged into a different source, a different obligation, a different nature in your life, and that's the grace. You see, Jesus comes as the God-man. He lays down his life, sheds his blood. Now, the Lamb of God is the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world. He lays down his life. That blood, we take our hands and put it on his head, and it's crowned with thorns, and blood comes out because our sins went on that head, sinless head. And now permanently, we are fixed. We are reconciled back to God. We don't need to keep schlepping an animal into the temple because Jesus died for sins once and for all. That is why we're under grace. But here's the part people miss. The new nature. He breathes on us. We're born again from above. And that new nature is attracted to obedience and righteousness and goodness and and clean things. The old nature is the one that's belching up commands to do something stupid, dumb, and that defiles you. You have to choose. The Bible says you no longer have to say yes, sir, to the old nature that enslaved you. So why, Mary, do you want to go back And put the shackles back on, don't you know? So look at that. He says, don't you know? You do know what don't you know means. It's an insult. Don't you realize? Are you kidding me? You should know. You've been saved long enough. Don't you realize that's what he's saying? Don't you realize that? And it's very logic here. Look at that. So it's very logical. He says, don't you understand that the one that you're serving, the one that you obey, that's your master. So are you okay with, with, by the evidence of your behavior and sinning, saying, I belong to sin, I serve the author of sin, who is who? The evil one. So don't you realize knowing of what you're really doing when you sin? I really, really like this logical thinking. He's saying, okay. Common sense here, if you as a Roman citizen hire yourself to be somebody's slave, to obey a master, when you're doing what he commands, this is so common sense, you might miss it. When you're doing as he commands, you're proving he's your master and you're his slave. Let me put it to you this way. If you're doing the dishes at Denny's, chances are you're employed by Denny's. (laughs) All right. You can say all you want. Actually, no, I'm a maitre d' at Starks. Okay, you can say that, but somebody's seen you, sir. 
in the back, smelly, sloppy kitchen of Danny's doing dishes. What are you doing dish, doing their dishes? You work there. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm at Starks. I'm a major D over at Starks. No, you're not. Then why are you doing dishes for Danny's? Well, let's just volunteer, okay? You know, what are you volunteering for your old master for? You're telling everybody, oh, I work at Starks. Yeah, I'm a Christian. When I'm not traveling in the hotels as a businessman, and then I do the dishes for Denny's, right? <laughs> Sorry, are you following this? I hope so. I'm losing myself a little bit in it. Here's what I'm saying. If you're doing the devil's work, you are the devil's slave. You can go ahead and say just this once, but the Bible says sin will enslave you and it will never be just once. I read a Christian blog. The guy said, I just got backed into a corner and I lied because my bottom was on the line and I lied. And he said, the Lord really convicted me, but I found out that I was lying to cover a lie. And then those two lies, I had a lie again. So he's laying in bed confessing to the Lord to get right with the Lord. And he counted by the Holy Spirit, prompted him, count all the lies. And he counted 14 of them, 14 lies because sin enslaves. It's just not one look, one, one click. It's never one click. Oh, I've had men in my office say, I just clicked once accidentally. And now I'm clicking all the time. Why? Because you gave into the first click and the nature of sin. The master calls for enslavement. Now, do you think it's one hateful word, one piece of gospel? Gossip. No, 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 that's not the nature. It's a little spark that sets the fire. It's the little rock that goes down and makes the avalanche. You say, Mary, 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 get a counselor. Humble yourself, make the marriage work. Get a divorce before you flirt around with Mr. Wonderful, find out that he's got troubles of his own, amen? amen? That's what I'm saying. And by the way, I'm not advocating anybody get divorced as a Christian. I'm just preempting the strike of emails. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what he's saying. He's saying... You've been unplugged from one master to, to be enslaved by another. And he will apologize for using slavery as a metaphor because it falls really short to describe our relationship with God. And he admits it as such, but he uses it anyway. So the prompt you obey reveals who it is you serve. By submitting, you identify your master. That's the point. He says, are you okay with that? Just want, want to make sure that you realize that. That it's not your lips. It's not the church you go to. It's not what you say about yourself. It's not your t-shirts or your bumper stickers. It's your life. When your marriage is in trouble and somebody's flirting with you and the prompt goes through your mind, 
go ahead. You're not going to go to hell. You're not under law. You're under grace. So go ahead. Indulge, man. He says, just want you to realize what you're opening your heart to again. You're inviting in a whirlwind of chaos. You're pledging allegiance to the devil and to sin and the old life of death, shame, condemnation, and hell. You're saying, I I really miss that. I want to be a part of it. Not forever. Just let it serve my current need. He says, you are a slave to God. Get it through your hearts. Amen? Amen. I'm convicted. (laughs) Let's close up with the fast and furious answer to the start of this. He's just saying two things to keep in mind, Christian, who thinks you could just tell a lie and do your thing. Number one, you identify yourself as a slave to sin. And number two, you invite death in in its various terrible forms. Here's one writer, and then we'll move on. He says, uh, and uh, please tolerate my the King James. It's written old school. So he says about this passage, note well, O believer, the power and cruelty of thy former master before ye are seduced backwards. Sin prompts a man to self-destruct, to destroy what's dearest and dearest, wife and children, mother or father. It matters not. It ruins careers, destroys dreams, and makes you a public Disgrace. It will trade a home of peace for a drunken chaos. It will trade a loving wife for a brazen harlot. King James. It seeks to sabotage every good blessing in life and cause you to heap upon thyself turmoil, pain, shame, and loss instead of blessing. All this for submitting to the old master instead of loving and serving the new. Sin is not your friend. So you decide. He says, so shall we sin? You're not under the law. You won't be going to hell. You're under grace. So shall we sin? He's going to say, you decide in light of what I just said. Go ahead. You decide. He's not done yet. 17. And following, please, thank you, 17 to 19. I'll paraphrase you, follow along if you can. (laughs) But thank God, you used to be shackled up to your sin, but now guess what? You've obeyed the gospel, the teaching that you've been entrusted with, beautiful words, with all of your heart, right? With all of your heart, Mary, John, You signed up, my whole heart, to obey. Now you are free from sin's power to do wrong. Now you're slaves to doing what's right. By the way, I'm using the illustration of slavery because your limited ability to comprehend all of this so you can understand these things. So just like you used to offer your parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, ever increasing, always, ever increasing wickedness. So now offer your body in slavery to do the right thing before God, the good thing, the biblical thing, which leads uh, to holiness. So 
Number one was we don't dabble in sin because it enslaves us. <laughs> and number two, we don't submit to sin because Christ has set us free and we are his slaves now. So he slips in an apology. You know, let's just address that. He says, I put this in human terms. Human terms means as we all colloquial speak. I'm using a worldly, not perfect illustration to describe slavery to sin. It really works that way. And we are slaves to God, but it has such a negative, limited connotation. He's kind of asking for a little concession to use it. He's saying, listen, after all, you're a little (laughs) spiritually immature. And so I'm using this strong language to make a really good point. So that's what verse 19 is about, because sure enough, Slavery to God really, thank God we are slaves to God because it's a good master, benevolent kind who's not just thinking about the good will of God. He's thinking, what's the good will of Ross and Barb and Dave and Emma and Jack and everybody else? So it's a good thing to be shackled to the Lord of glory, the Lord of life, the Lord of love, the Lord of mercy. Oh, yes, shackle me to him. But the use of saying, uh, you know, I'm a slave to God, he says, yeah, I know it falls short. Jesus says of this verse of 19 alluding, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, come to me, everyone who's weary in their souls, burdened, and I'll give you rest. And here he is, yoke up with me. That's bondage. Bind yourself with me. If you put yourself in a yoke with Jesus, guess what? It goes around your neck. Let me put you in a headlock. That's exactly what he's saying. Because my headlock is easy. My burden is like, why? Because I'm the Lord. I made you. I love you. I know you. I know what's good for you. I know what's right for you. I know how to make you excel. I know how to bless you. I know how to keep you from harm. So you want to get shackled up to me. You want to stay close. So take my yoke. It's easy and light. The word can be translated sweet. So yeah, we're slaves of a sweet kind of slavery. So Paul says, excuse me, pardon me, you know, for the falling short, if you will, of my illustration But it does make the point, and here it is, here in these verses, verse 18 especially, you've been set free from sin to become slaves of righteousness. To me, this is so freeing to me that I can tell myself in the morning, you are under the sway of a master who demands and then supplies the power to be a slave to every good thing, every good response, every biblical character quality I'm a slave to. That means I don't have an option. So wherever I am and whatever's called for in the moment, whether it's a word or deed or thought or feeling, all of it can come under as I have already started my day and set my course. I am a slave to do only God's will. He calls, he says, that's who you are. You're plugged into that source. Christ lives in you. You died. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
the, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I get out of the way. I pick up my cross. I die with Christ. I'm raised to new life to do only what he says to do. Jesus said, I'm under the authority of God the Father, even though I'm God the Son, and I only do what pleases him. I only say what I've heard the Father say, and that's what he's passing along to the child, the children, me and you. He's saying, you're you're wed to me. You're my servant. You're my slave. You're you're the branch. You're the mine. I'm the... What is that? (laughs) We're connected on this long stalk of wood. (laughs) I give you the sap of life to do, to produce the fruit that I want, the good fruit, the love, the joy, the peace. You're slaves to that, not to the other. So instead of thinking, oh, the others are all an option because I'm not under law. So all the other things are optional. He says, no, it's off of you so that you can let the spirit come in so that you can obey love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Those are the things you're a slave to. The hateful word, the gossiping, the slandering, the envy, the jealousy, the bickering in the marriages, all of the petty nonsense of sinful folly. You are not its slave. And the day you realize that and say, hold on here. I do not work for you anymore. We had an exit interview at Denny's. (laughs) I left that kitchen. I signed the papers. I cashed my last check. And what are you doing texting me three months later? There's a pile of dirty dishes waiting for you. You get the text, right? You're already employed at Starks walking around. How may I help you? You know, whatever. (laughs) And you get this from the nastiest person there that you did not like. You get this text. Hey, chump, the pile of dirty dishes, what you doing? You're like, excuse me, you're the chump, number one. Let's get that straight. I don't have any obligation to come do your dirty dishes anymore. Unless, of course, you're Mary. Oh, Mary's going to say, maybe I do need to do some dirty dishes. I'm sorry, I just picked Mary out of the blue. (laughs) Uh, There's nobody even close to anything in my mind. I'm just talking. But if you're Mary or John or Dave or Sam or whoever who's saying, you know, it's okay this one time to do the dirty dishes. Is it? Three three things that will always pay you. Enslavement, shame, and death. That's your passage. You serve it. Oh, just for five minutes. Five minutes? You don't even need five minutes. You need five seconds. Five seconds of it. A five-second swerve. He who swerves from the path of life comes to rest in the company of the dead. Proverbs. 
All you need is a one, all you need is this for a head-on collision. Doesn't take a lot. Talk to some of your friends. Talk, I can line you up with some people who just said it was just one little dude, you know? And then the whole life is ruined. Why? Because they didn't take this advice as a Christian. You do not have the luxury to do the dirty dishes at Denny's anymore. You've been set free to a higher way of life that doesn't bring a slap in the face, but joy to your heart and those around you. What are you thinking, man? Smelling salts of the word of God when you get in that place. You go and confess to somebody. You go to some safe place. Not to hear what you want to hear. You pick the person who's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. That's your friend. Not the friend you already lined up in your heart. Oh, they're going to tell me the same thing. Yeah, he treats you terrible. Oh, yeah. It's awful. And you know, you got to be happy. Are you happy? Oh, my word. Don't get me started with that. <laughs> this is what your text says. He says, offer, I love this, offer your parts to do God's will. You used to offer your whole body, your mind, to think things that don't line up with God's will. Now he says, offer your mind to think on what things are true and lovely and excellent and noble and worthy of praise. Let your mind dwell on this. Offer your mind. Look, so with the same why not, Paul is saying, why not? With this, go after God and obeying God with the same zeal you had for your former employer who was brutalizing you and setting you up for ever-increasing wickedness and to Top it off, bring you down to hell. Why not give your new master at least equal zeal and opportunity and, and, and cooperation by yielding your mind to not build a case about all your husband's bad qualities? Why not do the dishes and think about all your husband's good qualities and all the ways you contribute to the problem? Amen. And I, it seems to be heavy-handed on the women, so now from now on, we're going with the guys. Because sin is an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> Amen. Offer your tongue. What would your tongue used to do at your old master's employ? Your tongue used to sit, cuss when you felt like it and tear somebody down who you don't like and gossip and lie and slander. All here, he says, no, 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 you're not obliged to answer that call. You've been divorced, you've been separated, you've been cut off from that. Now you've got a new obligation to offer your tongue as a slave to God. I offer this tongue to stop when the conversation goes wrong, to start building people up, to say the truth in love to tell the truth, to keep vows even when it hurts, to speak life instead of death. Offer your tongue to God, he says, because you're his slave. Offer your hands, not like this, but this, I praise you. You see, you're changing from this to this. 
You're changing from stealing to giving, to working hard with your hands. Offer your feet to take you places where you can serve and grow the right places and not take you and put you in situations that compromise your service to your king. Offer the feet, offer the hands, offer the tongue. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're all grown-ups here, offer your whole body to purity. You take your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and join it. He says, that is why sexual sin is worse than every other sin. He says, because you're joining your body, even if it's in lust in your heart. He says, it's a very different kind of sin, says the Bible. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, you're not in charge of your body. Your body belongs to God. You use your body, your mind, your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your feet. They're all supposed to be consecrated as a living sacrifice on the altar. A hundred percent, through and through, offered up in obedience as a slave. I love this. You know, if you're a slave to righteousness, I love this. (laughs) The command of God if somebody comes to you and says, uh, forgive me, I've sinned, and you withhold forgiveness, the command is you forgive. You're a slave to, obedi- to obedience, right? So you, I, I was brokering peace between two brothers. You don't know either of them. They don't go to our church. And I say to him, you know, you need to get over this and, and forgive right now. You need to forgive. This is just going, driving you crazy. And he goes, I'll get around to that. I know, I know in my head, I'm supposed, yeah, listen. (laughs) Go tell your boss when he says, hey, by 12 noon, I need this done. And you tell him, you know, I'm getting there. If I got something else that comes up, you know, listen, we obey. We're we're servants, we're slaves. You obey. He says, you want to be forgiven? Then you forgive. If they come and they confess and they ask, you are obligated, Peter says, up to seven times. And he says, 70 times seven, Peter. That's my command to you. You obey. Then get your counseling if you need help. But you obey first. And I'll tell you what, when you obey, and I'm not just talking about this arena of life, Whenever we obey when it's hard, I promise you, you act your way and feelings follow. Feelings will come behind when you act in obedience and faith. God honors that and says, look at that. Did they feel like uh, forgiving the person? No, they didn't feel like, but get a load of this, Gabriel. Check this guy out. You know, I want you to look at this. He, He couldn't stand the guy. He's been really wounded by the guy, but because of me, And because he considers me his master and him a dutiful servant slave of mine, he went ahead and did it from his heart. And now watch this. And he supplies the grace, the emotions, the feelings. And suddenly, because he acted in obedience, the emotions are there. The strength to follow through is there. Why? Because God wants to say thank you my servant, for not saying, oh, get around for it. Let me give you 12 reasons why this is hard. Let me give you one reason why it doesn't matter. 
how hard it is. Yes, I understand. Things are hard. I've been there. But it's no excuse to drag our feet. We're slaves to these things, slaves. It just makes it easy for me. So when I get into a situation, and he says, by the way, there's a method to the madness. Verse 19. He says, uh, there's a goal to all this. Why, why does the way you live matter? It's because you're either, check this out, ever-increasing depravity, wickedness, or ever-increasing godliness, which is called holiness. Another word for holiness is to be sanctified. Sanctification is the process by which God takes a sinner and over a course of time, changes his character to be Christ-like so that we love like Christ, we're as pure as Christ, we're as loving as Christ. That's called sanctification. So he's saying, I'm preparing you by all of this obedience to slavery for good for the home where you're going to. Because when you get there, guess what? There's none of that other stuff. So he's preparing and sanctifying us. We're working with him, struggling with all of his Might that works so powerfully within us, as Ephesians says. See, the end product is holiness, that we be more like Christ at the end of the day. Ever increasing wickedness is when you sign up to do the wrong thing, and it ever increases, like the lie that multiplied to 14 lies. And you know, poor David, you know, he should have been out to war. First Samuel 17. So sin number one. When it was the time for, it was springtime. He had an obligation to go out with the army. But you know, for whatever reason, and I think it was a sin, that he said, I'm staying behind. You guys go out. Because the text says, David, really, the usual time to be out on the fields with the guys he wasn't there. Instead, he's on the roof, walking around, getting in trouble, looking to where he did. Come on. He kept looking. Sin number one or two. And then he acts on it. And desire is conceived. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to death. And death, when it's full grown, uh, sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So sin number two. Lust, and then sin number three, adultery. Then sin number four, lying about it. Sin number five, murder. And then the consequence is death to the baby. And that's the deal. Why is a baby got to suffer? Poor innocent baby. Ask Mary. Ask Mary why those two babies of her are going to suffer. Back to the original story, and we can ask, let's let's make it Mac. All right. Ask Mac why he's gonna put his wife through that and his kids. That's what sin does. That's what he's saying. You're enslaved, and he says, Can you just name one good thing that I mean you were ashamed? You're ashamed of all that. He's just reminding you. Remember how you felt? You remember how you feel after you sin, and you're like, ugh. And how shameful you feel, and how wasted, and right? He says, just think back. Just think back. Let's close with the application. I'll just read it. And so, why don't um, the worship team, why don't you come up here and 
play a little music, get our hearts ready to, to close out. So why don't we read that together? These are the closing application of what he's been saying and what I've been saying, okay? So why don't we read it together? I'll help you read with me together. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what he's saying here. Consider the consequences of what we've been talking about and choose wisely who you serve and who you choose to obey because it's going to make a big difference in the quality of your life here and Christian, in your reward there. We will be evaluated at what's called the Bema Seat of Judgment. For our works, the foundation is Christ, but he evaluates how we built our Christian life. And he said, if it's mostly a house of wood, hay, and stubble, the fire of the day will reveal that, and poof, up it goes. You're still saved. He says, you'll still be saved as though one escaping narrowly through the flames. But you're in heaven. Well, what that means and looks like, man, I don't want to know that I caused myself to forfeit some beautiful thing in eternity because of some temporal madness of sin, right? So it does matter a great deal in this life, of course, either reaping all kinds of shame and trouble and chaos and disorder and death, as it says, enslavement to ever-increasing problems in this life or ever-increasing blessing and joy, being effective and productive, being remembered well in this life. And then on to what Peter called a rich welcome through the gates. The commentators say there's such a thing as not a rich welcome. You can have a rich welcome or you can have a very loving welcome, but it it, it won't have the uh, commendation Some fool who lived in their life saying, I'm not under law, and he's truly saved. So he goes ahead and since you think he's getting a well done, good and faithful servant, uh uh-uh, no way, no way. I can back that up with scriptures. And that makes perfect sense to me. He will be welcomed. The wood, hay, and stubble. He forfeits something there. He's not well received as a person who died to themselves, who died, picked up their cross and denied their sinful things and worked hard and was faithful and was an A number one top rated servant. That person is who we're all striving to be because we all want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful love and Your goodness, Lord, and and yes, we're so glad we're under grace so that we can freely serve you and obey you. 
Thank you for defeating our old master. Help us with a changed heart to not to want to be under their employment ever again to do your will. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.